Great. Well, it's, uh, we're so excited to have you here this morning. Again, my name is David, and I'm um, the Connections Pastor here. My whole goal is to try and get you connected to the Church of Cane Bay, and uh, we're excited that you've joined us here this morning. Uh, so, I don't know, you know, maybe today might be your first time, maybe you came with us, uh, you know, for the last couple of weeks, but we're right dead in the middle of our uh, extravagant series. I'm, I hope that you've enjoyed it. I was going to ask how many of you enjoyed it, but I will just not do that, and I will say that hopefully you've enjoyed that. We are jumping into the third sermon of a four-part series. So today, uh, I just want to kind of catch you up to speed really, really quickly as to where we've been and a little bit about where we're going. So in the very first week of our extravagant series, we learned that we're rich, right? We're rich. Some of you, you know, you left the sermon that day and you ran down the hall screaming it, we're rich, we're rich, we're rich. The kids had no idea what was going on. We're in the top 1% of wealth in the entire world, you in this room. We're in the top 1% of wealth in the entire world. We are stinking rich. Uh, we, secondly, we learned that we need to change our mindset on the way that we think about generosity. We need to change our minds when it comes to thinking about how we're going to live generously. Some of us have some bad ideas. We're stuck in our thoughts. We're stuck in our way of thinking whenever it comes to money. And so we have to change our mindset whenever it comes to living and giving extravagantly. Thirdly, we learned that it's not a matter of can I. Remember, can I is the bad question. Can I is the question that we don't want to ask. Rather, we should be asking, how can I? How can I give extravagantly? How can I live extravagantly? Not can I, but how can I? Hopefully you noticed the difference there. And then last week you might have heard Pastor Will preach that everything belongs to God. Everything that you see, everything that you own, everything that you have, everything in this entire world belongs to God because He is Creator. We, however, are simply managers of what God has given us. We manage the things that God has given to us. We don't own them. Rather, we are managers. And then lastly, we learn that we should think of ways to leverage or to use the things that God has given us so that the kingdom might multiply. That's what we learned over the last two weeks. So I hope that you're caught up. If you haven't, if all this sounds strange to you, I want to invite you to go and catch up on our website. You can listen to all these sermons, and you can, you can kind of follow along with where we have been and where we're going. And so my question to you today is this. What kind of manager are you? If we are not owners but managers, then we have to be very introspective and ask ourselves, what kind of manager am I? If it all belongs to God, I'm simply a manager. What kind of manager am I? Are you the kind of manager that squanders money? Are you the kind of manager that has taken all the things that the Lord has given you and just wasted? Are you a disciplined manager? How well have you been managing your finances? I don't know about you, but last week I sat in the same very seats that you're in. And I watched the Oscar Schindler clip, and I'm holding my cell phone in my hand. I'm holding my keys and my wallet in my hand. Some of you, that sounds really weird. Go back and listen to the sermon. But I'm holding all those things in my hand, and I'm watching the clip, and I'm thinking, man, that's some serious stuff. That's really important. And I'm thinking, man, I, I can't do that. 
I can't do that. You don't know my situation. You don't know how I roll on a day-to-day basis. I, I can't do that. And remember, that's a bad idea. That's a bad question. Rather, we should be asking, how can I do that? And so if you were to ask me, I think today is the most important part of this series. I, ask, I would say that today is the most important part, and here's why. Because we can change our mindset, we can set goals for our lives, and we can start to give generously. But if we are not disciplined, if we don't have a plan, if we don't have a strategy in place, then we'll never get to where we want to go. We'll never get to where we want to go without a plan. And so today I want to talk to you about how we can set up plans in our lives, in our homes, plans to, to not just thinking and wanting to do it, but actually setting a plan in place, becoming disciplined to get where we want to be. So that's what I want to talk to you today about. I know that some of you are probably in this room, and you've probably really struggled with this sermon series. You probably really struggled with this series because you're thinking, I live paycheck to paycheck, homie. I don't know what you're talking about, living extravagantly. Like, I have enough for me and for my family. Hold on with me today. Just Track with me, follow with me. We're going to talk about it because here's what I know about myself and my household. I know that I need a plan. I need a plan. And if we're honest with ourselves, we need a plan. We need a plan. Listen to the wise words of Solomon here in Proverbs 21.5. Proverbs is the most wisest man in the Bible because he asked God for wisdom and God gave it to him. And here is, here's a nice bit of wisdom for you in your life. Proverbs 21.5. The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. Let me read that again. The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes on only to poverty. Did you catch that? The plans of the diligent. The plans. Do you have a plan for saving and making money? Do you have a plan for growing your wealth, growing your assets, getting out of debt? Do you have a plan? The plans of the diligent are those that work systematically. That leads to abundance. But those who don't have a plan, those who are hasty, quick with their money, it kind of burns a hole in their pocket, you know, they lead only to poverty. We all need to be diligent in this. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn to the book of Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. That's where we're going to be. Luke chapter 12. How many of you have ever sat down at a test or an exam and you had no plans whatsoever? You didn't study. You just, you know, you're sweating bullets. You know your heart's pounding like, man, I know I've messed up. Can I just reverse time? I didn't have a plan for this. I didn't prepare for this. My brother is notoriously the least planned and prepared person I know. Like, he's getting better about it, but he's, he's 20 years old, and he's the least planned and prepared person that I know. Sometimes he'll randomly just show up, you know, and I admire his courage, but I'm like, dude, what's your plan here? I didn't think of any plan. I was just hoping you guys would help me out. But you don't have a plan? No, I didn't. We've all been there. So let's talk about this. Let's talk about innocence and our finances, about how we can have a plan. So Luke chapter 12, we're going to start in verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, being 
Jesus. Jesus is out teaching. And someone randomly just comes up and says, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax. Eat. Drink. Be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things that you have prepared, whose will those be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. So Jesus is just standing around, and this man comes up and says, Teacher, I need you to talk to me and my brother here and tell us how to divide this wealth. And Jesus doesn't even get into that. He doesn't even get into that. He says, but let me teach you something about money and how it can control you. And so he starts to tell this story about a, a, a parable with a moral message here about the rich fool. About the rich fool. And he says that this rich fool started to see all the things that he had. Started to see all the ways that God blessed him. And he says, you know what? I have an abundance here. I'm overflowing with stuff here. What shall I do with it? Well, I'll take all of it and I will store it for myself. And then whenever I'm old, I can relax, retire, and I have all this stuff that I've worked hard for from the beginning. Did you catch the title there, the parable of the rich fool? Obviously, Jesus thinks this is a bad plan, right? He thinks this is a bad plan. So I told you this morning that you need to come up with a plan. This is not the plan that you need to come up with. And I think for a lot of us, this is our plan, right? Let me store up a lot. Whenever I'm old, I will retire. These will be mine to enjoy. Jesus says this is a plan for the foolish. Let's talk about why that is. So first of all, the rich man takes inventory of what he has. So he, he looks around and he sees all the ways that God has blessed him. In the first part of your plan, you need to sit down and see and take inventory of all the things that you have. Ask, what do we have? Step one of the plan, ask, what do we have? What do we own? Whenever you sit down this week and you're coming up with a plan, find out, start with, how much income is coming to your, how much are you earning? What income do you have? What assets do you have? What tools or, or, or toys has God given you, basically? Take inventory. Sit down this week and literally figure out how much money comes into your bank on a, giving ba on a week, monthly basis. Find out what you have. Maybe for that, maybe some of you are married, you want to sit down and come together and find out how much you as a couple are bringing in, how much you as a married couple are bringing in each month. If you're single, do the same. So bring in all the things that you have. Take stock, take inventory, and see what you have at your disposal. That's what the rich man does, and I think that's a very good plan for us, because here's what will happen. As you sit down and see all the ways that God has blessed you, as you notice the income that you have, you'll probably find out that you have more 
than what you thought you did. You'll probably find out that you have more, a little bit more abundance than what you probably thought you did from the start. Go through your closets. Go through your shelves. See how God has blessed you. Take inventory of all the things that you have. Let's keep going. Verse 18. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store up all my grains and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. This was his plan. So he took inventory. He says, this is all the things that I have. This is the way that God has blessed me. And he says, here's what I'm going to do with it. I'm going to set it aside for me. Here's the same thing that you need to do. First, after you take inventory, you need to ask yourselves, where is it going? Where is it going? The rich fool took inventory of his possessions and said that it was all going to his storehouse for his enjoyment and for his comfort. Ask yourself, of your income, where is it going? Where do I see my money going? Where do I see the things that I have going? My possessions, are they all spent on you? How many of you live in this area? Okay, cool. If I ask you this morning, off the top of your head, how many storage unit facilities there are in Somerville and Goose Creek, what would you say? Just Somerville and Goose Creek, okay, about a five to seven mile radius. How many storage unit facilities would you say are in that area? Nineteen. 19 storage units. you know there's a real possibility that there are more storage unit facilities in our circle of accountability than in our churches? And I think that's very telling of our culture. Now, some of you, that sounds really silly. Like, why am I worried about storage unit facilities? And they, they're popping up all over. Okay, I'm not saying that. But he didn't have enough, so he created larger barns for him to put all this stuff. That's very, very symbolic of us today. Listen to the stats of our, of our country here. All right, these are big numbers. I want you to track with me just a little bit. The average mortgage debt for a household in the U.S. is roughly $172,800. $172,800. That's the average mortgage debt for a household in the U.S. The average credit card debt for a household in the U.S. is roughly $16,000. The average auto loan debt for a household in the U.S. is roughly $28,500. I got nicer cars than I do. The average student loan debt for a household in the U.S. is roughly, now this one's going to shock you, $49,000. That is the average debt for any type of student loan that we follow. Some of you are smarter than me. Any type of debt, just an average of any type of debt per household in the U.S. is roughly $132,000. That means you go to just any random house, and statistically, that person, that household will be close to about $132,000 in debt. Where is your money going? Now, that's on a macro. That's, that's pie in the sky. That's huge numbers for us. Let's talk about same day for just a second. On a more close-to-home micro level, 
based on a lot of the financial peace university numbers that we run each year, we, we take some numbers and we tally that up. Based on numbers from financial peace university, if each family that walks through there, they represent an average of about 40,000 non-mortgage debt. $40,000 worth of non-mortgage debt. That's here. That's in this room. That's on a very personal level. Now hang with me for just a second, okay? I'm going to do a little math for you. I'm going to do a little math, all right? I don't do well at math, so let's try it. Hypothetically, I'm not saying it's true, but hypothetically, if each family in this room today has $40,000 or more in debt, that means per month we're paying at least $333 just in interest payments. Per family. In interest alone, not in the principal. In interest payments. You just go straight to the bank. Straight to their pockets. Now here's the better question. What could you do with that money? What could you do with $333 a month extra? What could we collectively as a church do with that money? Not going to our pockets, but to the kingdom. So that every man, woman, and child might hear, see, and respond to the gospel. What could we do if church at Cane Bay got out of debt? What can we do with that? Now, that's not to mention all the kids and health care and the random expenses that we have. That's just money going straight to the bank. One of the many ways we as Christians should look different or countercultural to the rest of the world is the way that we view debt. We should look radically different from the rest of the world in the way that we view debt and having those things. Because here's why. God has blessed us, right? God has blessed us with so much. And some of us will even say, I'm so thankful for all the ways that God has blessed me. Then why are we spending outside of what God has blessed us with? If God hasn't provided it, why do we try to live outside those means? We should look different from the rest of the world. And unfortunately, unfortunately, I, I feel like many of us are caught up in that rat race of keeping up with the Joneses. Because they got it, I got to have it too. Because their kids have it, my kids got to have it too. Because they went through it, I got to go too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So rather than giving, the rich will choose to spend money only on themselves. I think it's important, important to point out here. Very important point out. Jesus never condemns the rich man for being rich. Jesus condemns the rich man for what he does with his riches. And I think if he were here this morning, he's blessed us all. He knows what he's doing. He wouldn't be upset with our possessions. He would be upset with what we're doing with those possessions. So to close this parable, Jesus says that the rich man died and all of his possessions that he had stored up for himself were left to no one. 
and just rotted in storehouse somewhere. Now, this isn't like a, a command from Jesus for all of us to go out and make wills. Like, that's what we need to do after the week so we need to go make wills. That's not what Jesus is saying here. This isn't a charge to go and make a will. He's suggesting that this money had impact on himself only. His money and his possessions only impacted him. Please don't let that be said of us here at the church came day. Let our money and our finances impact the kingdom and so many more people than it does just ourselves. Thirdly, as we're making this plan, as we're coming up with a plan about how to, to live and give extravagantly, here's step number three. Ask what is okay to keep. Step one, take inventory, find out what you have, find out what your income level is. Secondly, ask where is it going, where do you see your money going, is it on you, is it on entertainment. Thirdly, whenever you take inventory and after you have saw where it's going, and you start asking yourself, okay, now what is okay to keep? What can we cut here and there? Notice the difference in the question. A lot of times whenever it comes to giving money to the church or giving money to the kingdom, to kingdom work, giving money to the Lord, the first thing that we ask is how much do I have to give? Just tell me the bottom line and I will give that. This is a different question. We're not asking how much do I have to give but rather, what is okay to keep? How much is God okay with me having? Pick up in Luke, two, uh, Luke 12, verse 22. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouses nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? Of which one of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? If then you are not able to do a small thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Church of Candy, why are you anxious about the basic necessities of life? Consider the lilies. That's a flower. How they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, we just read from him, in all his glory was, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you who are full of faith? And do not seek what you are to eat or what you are to drink. You will be worried, for all the nations of the world seek after these things, and the Father knows that you need them. Verse 31. Hear this. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not go old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. Verse 34, oh man, this is a verse for life. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also now. Many of you know that Jesus is talking to his disciples here, and he's calling them to, to give generously, to live sacrificially on the mission field, many with no homes, many without jobs. He's not telling them not to plan, but he's telling them basically, let me provide for you. Don't be anxious about what you will eat or drink. Now, there might be some of you in this room who God has called you to do that. 
He's called you maybe to sell your possessions and go live in another part of the world where you can live on mission for those around you. Maybe he's called you, but if you're like me, I haven't been called necessarily yet to go to Africa. Sell all my possessions and go to Africa. There's a lot of men and women who have, and we should support them in that effort. But there's still a few things that we can learn from this. From this passage right here. Jesus is telling the disciples, give me your very best. Give me your very best. He's also telling them that it takes faith to sacrifice. It takes faith sometimes. You may not know the answers. You may not know where the money's going to come from, but it takes faith to sacrifice because this is what he's, he will take care of you in this life. He knows what you need. He will give you the things that you need. For this life, more importantly, for the next life also. And then lastly, again, just, just where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What Jesus is saying here is that the direction of your money symbolizes the direction of your heart. Do you hear me? The direction of your money symbolizes the direction of your heart. Where you see your money going is where your heart is. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Where your money is going, if your money is going straight on entertainment, and you see a large portion of your income being spent on entertainment, then we can take from that that your heart is set on entertaining yourselves. If all of your money goes towards your kids to have the finest and the nicest, what that symbolizes is that your heart is really seeking the approval of your kids. Where is your money going? You see, here's the thing, that Jesus is not trying to get your money. Jesus is not trying to get my money. Rather, Jesus is trying to make sure that our money doesn't get us. Because our money can have us, right? He doesn't need your money. He doesn't need, he certainly doesn't need my money. No, hold on. He doesn't need it. But he wants it. And he desires to have it because what I'm saying is that Jesus is your worth it. So i got to admit that I'm a huge fan of the Carolina game. Some of you got jokes. Sticks and stones to my big bones. I'm a huge fan of the Carolina game. I love going to the games. I do. Now, they can get a little expensive. Now, whenever I go to the game, whenever I'm online and I'm getting ready to purchase those tickets, okay, $70, $80, whatever it might be, and I give my money to the South Carolina Game Club, to the University of South Carolina, what I'm saying to them is that this game, this event is worth it to me. I value you enough that you're worth the $70 or $80 that I have in my pocket. I give it to you because you're worth it because it means enough to me. Okay, the same for my Apple phone or, or whatever you might have in your pocket. If I give them my a million dollars a year that I give Apple, what I'm saying to them is that it's worth it to me to have this. In the same way, if I go to the store and I see some random junk and I don't give my money, guess what that means? You got it. It's not worth it to me. I don't love it. I don't have any stake in the game. I'm not spending or wasting my money on something that is not valuable to me. Now, the same could be said in our relationship with the Lord, right? 
when we give to the Lord, whenever we give to God, what we're saying is that this is worth it to me. Jesus, God, you're worth it to me. To, this, to have this money, this little bit of money that I have, you're worth it to me. Here's the question. If we're not giving anything to God, could that mean, could that mean that we just don't find Him back? That we just don't find Him worth giving to? It's a dangerous place to be. Could that mean that we don't find God valuable enough to give to? So here's how we give to God, okay? I have in my hand 10 $1 bills. All of you just woke up immediately. I have in my hand 10 $1 bills. Normally, whenever we give to God, this is how we give to God, okay? So symbolize with me that this is what you have, this is your check that comes in, and this is how we normally would give, okay? I have $10 in my hand. The first dollar I will give towards my gas. Got to get around. Got to get to work. I just got to get around. That's going towards gas. Okay? The second dollar bill that I have, it goes towards Comcast. You know, I love my shows. Walking Dead, I got to have my shows. It's going towards that. Second, or the third dollar bill that I have, got to look nice. All right? Got to look fly. Got to go to the mall. Got my shoes. Y'all know what I'm talking about. That's where that money's going to go. Obviously, we've got to eat, right? This, this dollar bill right here will go towards the grocery bill. We'll take care of that. Obviously, I've got to feed my kids. That's where that dollar bill will go. Also, here, here's a little bit extra that I have. We've got to have the, the FCNZ bill paid. We've got to have power and heat. Don't throw me out if I don't. got to do that. I can know that i got to pay my mortgage. Got to take care of that one. I got my car payment due. Definitely want to take care of that one. Let's see. What else we got? Uh, I got my makeup. I got to get all that. Man, I got to look right. I got to room right. I got to take care of myself. Obviously, we want to pay our taxes. So we go ahead and pay our taxes up at the end of the year. And then our last dollar bill right here, this is always the toughest decision. But, of course, I paid all my bills. I deserve a break. Let's relax a little take care of myself, let's go hang out, excuse a little bit. That's normally about how it goes, right? And then at the end of the month, we're like, sorry, God. I'll get you next month. Not this time. We get to the end of the road. And maybe we're not giving this last We might. But a lot of times we don't. When we get to the end of that month, how it should look, okay? Whenever your check comes in, here's how it should look, okay? That first payment, that first good that we got, that first fruit should go to the Lord. Right? That first fruit should go to God. And then we can start paying the rest of our bills. We can take care of the necessities. We pay God, and then we pay our bills, we pay our creditors, and then if there's anything left over, we pay ourselves. For far too long, we paid ourselves first. And then our creditors second. And then God laughed if there's anything left over. The Bible teaches that God should be the first that we give to. 
nitty gritty and we ain't got nothing left, we should really start checking our budget and see what to become. If you're in $40,000 worth of debt, just a word to the wise. It's probably not a good idea to be that It's probably not a good idea to eat out all the time. Just being wise. Now, this, this payment that we give to God, this first first payment is called a tithe. Normally, what the Bible would consider as tithe is 10%, 10 of our income going to the Lord as a first fruit. We want to pay God first. Some people like to debate that. In the Old Testament, we see where Abraham, uh, he ties to, to one of the high priests. Jacob gives a tithe to the Lord. And we know that it becomes a part of the Old Testament law. And people often, these days, they like to really debate tithing because it's not mentioned in the New Testament. Well, here, the Bible says a lot about giving in the New Testament. I want to read one of those for you here. Here's what we know from 2 Corinthians 8. 2 Corinthians 8 teaches, teaches and 9 teaches that our giving should be of free volition, not compulsory, meaning that no one can force you to tie. No one can twist your arm and make you be a conjecture. You will never get a bill from the church came back. You'll never get a bill. You should be generous and sacrificial. 2 Corinthians 8 says that our teaches that our giving should be generous and sacrificial. That our giving should be sacrificial, meaning that it's okay if you feel it. You need to feel it whenever you give. That's what they did. That's what they did. Supported Paul. 2 Corinthians 9 teaches that we should give cheerfully. Not just, oh, I got this right here. But cheerfully, all the abundance that we have. Obviously, we see throughout the book of Acts that, that our giving should go towards the poor and towards the social justice scene. 2 Corinthians teaches that, or 8 teaches that our, our gifts should go and support the local ministry. Paul lived there. Giving should go and support them. You need to systematically this week find out how much you're going to give to the Lord. Systematically. What is your approach? How are you going to come up with that number? What does that look like for your family? And it should be the first first sense. Give to God first and not leftovers. How many of you if you ever just, just randomly have your boss come over to your house, okay, you got your boss coming over to your house and kind of serves them again, okay? Now your boss is a person of honor, right? They're the person of importance. And they come and sit down and you're serving your boss. How many of you would just open your refrigerator door, look in the back, we had pork chops last Thursday, Are you okay with that? None of us would serve leftovers to our boss or the person in the And yet, when it comes to tithing and doing to the Lord, a lot of us do that all the time. Jesus, Jesus, God, high, most honorable, will get to you. Remember, He is the Lord. So, systematically, find out. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Just to wrap up here, some of you this morning, you're still in that place. You're still in this place. I, I can't give. I can't afford to give. What we're trying to teach you to do is change your habits. See where your habits can change. And then.